0: to Edge of the Rabbit Hole. I'm author and ghost historian Mike Ricksecker. With me as always is Vanessa Hogle. my co-hostess. And down in the chat room, our chat shenanigator Shauna shaking everything up down there. We have a fantastic show up for you tonight. We have a reunion with Andrea Perrin, our wonderful, wonderful friend who has recently released her new book, A Wonder to Behold. It's been a little while now, but um we, we need to dive into this, and Andrea, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. Um, thank you for joining us. It's part of a uh, fantastic October that we have here uh, this this month, this year, on Edge of the Rappin' I don't know if you know at all about our lineup for this month, but I think you'll appreciate it. We had Corey and Jen Hines on uh, last week from mm-hmm. your old farmhouse. We have you this week. We have Christopher Rondina on next week, and then the um, week after that... He is. And the week after that, to close out the month, is Carl Johnson. Oh, that's excellent. Uh,
1: You know, you're you're a fantastic writer, Mike. Um, Thank you. You really are one of the very best in the paranormal. I truly swear by your work, by your research, by the detail, by the poetry, of what you put into print is just lovely. And the same can be said for Christopher Rondina. Yes, yeah, he's a fantastic writer. Yeah, he really is. And his uh, his latest book is, uh, it's, I think it's his best. I really do. Um, I think, I'm not positive, but I do believe that my friend, Lynn Ann Bowling is in the chat room tonight.
0: Oh, fantastic. I well, believe hello, so. Yes,
1: I believe so. How? So, before before I do anything or say anything more, I intend to salute her and to antagonize her with one more. My- <laughs> nice. there, there you go, honey. There you I'm, go. Honey.
2: I'm looking for her. I think she's in there.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, bless right. her. And they are
0: saying that I do have an echo.
1: Hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, when in Michigan, you're either rooting for University of Michigan or Michigan State. You're rooting for one of the two because of where we are in the state and because I have the big, huge Michigan, um, yeah, I'll do it one more time just to aggravate the living. And
2: she is there. I just saw her.
1: It's the stadiums just up around the corner. In fact, when she comes over to Cass's house, she has to drive right past it. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure she admires it, I'm sure she does. Um, and so, you know, that's just around the corner, really. It's only about four blocks away from here. So, She uh, says, yeah.
2: you'll pay for that, Annie.
1: Yes, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I will. I antagonize with purpose and reason. Because, you know, I can get her all worked up. And then, you know, okay, so she and her husband, Jeff, who move mountains. And, I mean, there's nothing that these two people wouldn't do to help me. When I'm up in Michigan, they come to virtually every event that I'm at. Uh, We have a splendid (laughs) event. Stop it. She said. Oh, my God. I love it um we have this thing and i'm staying with my friend cass ormiston in ann arbor and cass had to go pick up a friend who was stranded when we were leaving to at the end of the event this past weekend we were at the little traverse that day Parafest, which was fantastic of course um john cassidy and uh bumps in the night paranormal and i mean they put together a splendid event uh, but it was freezing cold up there, oh my god, I thought I would die. And so I ended up coming home with them. Uh, so they were stuck with me in the back of their SUV for, I don't know, like three and a half hours. Which, you know, some people would think that that's fun. <laughs> 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 I think that the time we were done, we get back down to Ann Arbor. And I remember that Cass has the key to the house that I don't have the key but I remember which window I left unlocked. So, Lynn and Jeff broke into the house for him. I mean, you know, that's friendship, real friendship. Yeah, I posted pictures of uh, her butt on uh, the Buttercup Brigade, my fan page. So you can see her husband there, uh, you know, like offering moral support. Um, (laughs) But yeah, she crawled through a window to unlock a door so I could get into the house. Uh, and that's how we spent Sunday afternoon, and then we watched some football. You know, it's just what Well, you have to doing?
2: top off a day like that with football. Yeah. It's, it's yep. a requirement.
0: <laughs>
1: it's a requirement. Yeah. Lynn, here's, here's to Lynn. This is to Lynn. <laughs> oh, bless her.
2: Let's see. So,
1: anyway, while I was up there, um, oh, yeah, what I wanted to tell you guys, um, now that I'm allowed to talk about it, and I am allowed to talk about it, I haven't done an interview since I've been allowed to talk about it is uh, for anybody that doesn't know um, I was invited to participate in the a Ghost Adventures um, Halloween special that was filmed at the farmhouse with Zach Bagans and his crew with Aaron and Billy were there and uh, I had never seen a, an episode of Ghost Adventures I didn't know which guy was which guy, I, okay. I, I never met any of them when we met, but they were just um, as kind and sweet and delightful as they could be, uh, as interested as they could be, as focused uh, on what they were there to do as they could possibly have been, uh, and we had some phenomenal things happen in that house the night that I was there. Uh, and I do believe they spent two or three nights in the house, so it should be a really interesting episode, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they discovered about my old, um, my old
0: home, my family home from many decades ago. Yeah, um, we had Corey on last week. I think he said that it was actually five nights. It's been a little bit longer time there than usual. Um, so, but it's good that it's good to hear that you had a good experience with them. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it really was. It was really nice. And,
1: uh, you know, I spent, I think, four days up there. Um, But I only spent a few hours at the farm. Um, They just kept me on call in case they needed me uh, for anything, any issues, any extra questions that they had. But in the five or six hours that I spent with them, I think they had more than enough (laughs) of what they, you know, might need from me. Um, in terms of background on the house and experiences, and um, and it was uh, it was a very busy night is really all that I will say. A uh, very busy night in the farmhouse that night, uh, but I don't want to uh, spoil any of the surprises, and I've got a feeling that this episode will be full of them. So that's coming up on Halloween night. And what we're doing here is, I'm having a few of my friends uh, that live in this area, um, in the kind of southeastern section of Michigan, uh, come over to the house, and we're going to take the computer and turn it around and face it toward uh, the um, face it toward the TV, and just let people watch Facebook live and watch us watch the episode, which should be really fun. It would be like live viewing. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Somebody said that I have an echo. I don't know why I'm not having any issue here. Should I turn my volume down some? Some up or down and see if that. Try
2: up. it down just a touch. I had to do okay. mine down just maybe, a little bit. Yeah, maybe that's
1: it. Because I can always speak up. Is
2: that better? It's a little bit better, yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, and I've also been trying to fix microphone issues over here, which I hope I just did. Does it sound better, Vanessa? A
2: little bit better, yeah. A little, it's a little bit, bit better. better yeah. Okay. Yeah, Andrea, I can't wait. I'm, I'm coming up to Rhode Island next year for the ocean city, Ocean State Paracrine? Ocean State Park. Yes. Yeah. And uh, um Corey and his wife said that I could that I could go to the house.
1: Oh, it's a marvelous place. I it's so wait. beautiful. It really is. It's a very beautiful place. Um I know that you'll love it and I know you'll pick up on all kinds of energy and stuff. Mike, did I take you up there?
0: no no um i didn't get a chance to go up there I, I know you were very busy up there that particular uh weekend when the uh the paracon was going up or going on so um so i hope to make it out next year
1: mm-hmm. yeah you really have to say it it's an incredible place it's living history
0: yeah yeah absolutely it it's, really it's, it, it's it's a really place is. i've always wanted to get to and you know it's you were you were having your time there. You know, it was uh, it was a homecoming for you. So I, I I didn't want to try to just intrude on all of that, you know. But you have your time there.
1: It's It'll okay. be wonderful. It'll be wonderful if you go, you know, next summer or even before. Who knows how things work out. If I say sure if enough. possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I wanted to tell you a little bit about my uh, my new book a wonder to behold it's kind of been my nemesis because it seems to take so long and yet it took a remarkably short amount of time i mean from the conception of it to publication was less than 13 months which is just about unheard of for a 500 page book but um Still, it seemed to take much longer than I thought that it would. And I kept running into obstacles. I kept running into, uh, you know, kind of bumps in the road or bumps in the night or, you know, whatever. Um, And I wanted, I just wanted it to be a certain way. I knew exactly in my mind's eye what it was supposed to be and what it should include. And yet, as I was working along and working along on the book, and, like, I know I shared some of this with you. You did, And some of my frustrations that I had around getting it out for um, Sault Ste. Marie for the Upper Peninsula Michigan Paracon. And I went to print with it. I just went to print with it, like, regardless of whether (laughs) or not I was 100% happy or not. I knew that it was 99.9% perfect. Uh, It was really close. Um, So it's got a few little glitches in it. I call it the Persian version because (laughs) Persian women who weave rugs always leave a deliberate flaw in every rug because in their belief system only God is perfect. And being human, they are imperfect. And so anything that we create is imperfect. And I don't look at it that way. I look at it like I am the living, breathing embodiment of God consciousness on this plane of action, as are we all. And so it is incumbent upon us to strive for perfection. So as I'm going through it, making sure uh, it was missing a couple of photographs that the art department did not insert. I thought they would be in there. I didn't have a chance to look at it again (laughs) um, before, uh, before it went to print. So I only had 300 books printed. I had them printed with a full color interior, so all the photographs are in color, and that actually matters um, with this book. It really does, Um, not only for clarity in terms of photographs, but uh, one of uh, a set of the photographs, the color is very specific to something that happened prior to the encounter. So I needed to have them in color, and I have not even put this out into the world yet. I have not even released this book on Amazon. I've not released it to any of the bookstores. The only bookstore that's got it is Deb DeRoose's store up in Houghton Lake, Michigan. That's it. She's the only one, she has signed copies of it. So anybody that's in central um, Michigan that can get to her store, uh, they can pick up a copy of it there. Uh, and other than that, anybody that wants a copy of it can order it for me. The hardcover is not done yet. I've been so sick and I've been working so many hours and so many events that I have not had the time to go through it the way I want to, i.e. with a fine-tooth comb. Um, so but would you uh, call that a, be out soon.
0: Would you call that a limited release? Yes,
1: it is an ultra-limited first edition release of the book, (laughs) which makes it a collector's item because already the file is changed. I've already added in Mm -hmm. uh, the missing photographs, made sure those got added in. So on the next printing, um, you know, those things will be in there. But, yes, this is an extremely limited edition uh, book. And I have about, ooh, of the 300 that I've probably got – I probably got about 36 books left. Okay. So if anybody wants one of the original first printing of the book, uh, all they have to do is write to my darling assistant, Vanessa, um, Vanessa Ward at um, a wonder to behold at gmail.com, all lowercase, a wonder to behold at gmail.com. And she'll give you all the information about how uh, to do this so that I can get a copy of the first edition to you while we've still got them in stock. And then uh, I'll do a second printing sometime before Christmas that will include the, uh, the hardbound edition as well, so people can get that as well. Um, I'm very proud of it. It was a true labor of love. And I kept, you know, complaining <laughs> to have anyone who would listen um, about how, I was so struggling to get the book out because every time I thought that I was right on the verge of being done with the project, something else would uh, manifest that needed to be in the book. And in fact, I had an event that was, uh, I I just, you know, it was life altering. I had a life altering event in Leadville, Colorado uh, in June of this year. And the book was almost done. It was almost done. And I called my uh, publisher and I said, stop the presses. And he was a little taken back. He didn't know what to think. And I said, now just sit in front of your computer and wait till I send these photographs to you and then call me back. So that's what I did. I sent four photographs to him. Now, this is after my media um, IP attorney had them and uh, people that I trusted had them for safekeeping. Uh, and I sent them to them, and I said, now I have to write the story that corresponds with these four photographs so that people understand why this book had to stop in its final stages in order to include this. And he did understand. Um, then the story stopped the presses says it all, but I had probably the closest encounter that I have ever had. Um uh in um in about a three second, three to four second period of time, nothing was visible to the naked eye. Um when I took the photographs. It wasn't until I was on the airplane. That I opened my phone so that I could close it and set it on airplane mode, and that's when I discovered the four photographs. Um, and there, they were. It was a life-altering event for me, and it has been for others who have seen something for the first time that they've never seen before. Um, and they're right in the center of the book, so you know, right at the heart of the book. Uh, so it's, um, yeah, and the chapter is called Stop the Presses, uh, <laughs> but as it should be. Uh, but the story that I wanted to tell you goes back a little further into the winter. Because okay. I had submitted my rough, not my rough manuscript. I had submitted my my manuscript for Leg Out um, in November of... Uh, 2018 and of course it takes a long time to do what they have to do on their end and then of course I wasn't happy with what they did and so they had to redo everything that they did because I wasn't happy with it I just didn't think that it captured the layout was really capturing the uh, the intention or the spirit of the work
0: yeah it's a representation of your voice you need to be happy with it
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so and I'm really, anybody that's worked with me, <laughs> my layout designer must hate my guts. <laughs> I'm sure he does. I mean, when all is said and done, I'm going to have to send him a hard bound signed copy of the book and uh, a dozen roses and a bottle of Jameson's. Because if he didn't drink before he started working with me, he certainly does now. Um, I am really a stickler for detail and I want things a certain way and, uh, and I'll change things until I'm, I'm happy with them and I'm set with them. And if that means I change it over and over again, then that does not make me indecisive. It just makes me a perfectionist. Right. And when I'm writing something that is for my readers, whom I adore, uh, who I would not you know, exist in this incarnation without... Um, then it is incumbent upon me to do it a certain way. But there were things that kept happening. Um, And when I went home for Christmas in uh, December of 2017, uh, I was lamenting the fact that I did not have this book out yet. And my sister Christine said to me, you know, Anne, really, you know, I've been hearing for as long as I can remember, I can remember hearing from you that everything everything happens with purpose and reason in its right and proper time everything so why would this be the exception to the rule why would this be different you know why does your theory not apply here you know she's very pragmatic aquarian <laughs> I just slap her down um but i don't because I just adore her But, uh, you know, I I admitted, she's like, just stop moping around, it'll be fine, you know, and you can work on it through the holiday, and, you know, we'll make merry and celebrate, and then you can, you know, get on with it. And so, I did, I got on with it, we had a wonderful Christmas, it was our first Christmas without April, my sister, and so it was difficult that we went through all of that together, but we needed to go through all of that together, my father came up from Florida, and, and, you know, we shared the holiday. The, the, we got through it the best way that we could and tried to be cheerful. And something happened on Christmas that was absolutely amazing that ended up making its way into the book, having to do with my sister April. Um, and then January came and it was Christine's birthday at the end of the month. And, you know, I'm hanging out in Georgia. I'm just, you know, wintering in Georgia, basically. I went home for, I think, two weeks to Florida to gather my mail and, and to uh, get some warmer clothes that I had in the closet and, and then turned around and went back for Christine's birthday, which was January 30th, and I stayed till March. Um, and I was just, you know, determined to get this book done. Well, sometime in February, yeah, I was bitter cold, st- the... The stove was roaring in our parlor and my mother was sitting in there in her recliner staring at our Scrabble board, which I had promised her a game sometime that day. And because I'd been working so hard on the book, I kept putting her off and putting her off. And she finally got up and she said, come into the parlor, shut your computer down, step away from the computer. And come play Scrabble with me. And it was time for our evening news show, our favorite one. So uh, we turned uh, the Scrabble board uh, upright and started divvying up our title of tiles, and and turned the news down enough that we could hear it, but that it wasn't a distraction. And we started playing the game um, that was destined to change everything. Somewhere toward the end of the game, which was tight, you're gonna to have to take my word for it because I don't remember where the score thing she went. That was really. But so my mother is a master Scrabbler. Oh, okay. And she almost always beats me, and I'm really good. I mean, I often get three, four hundred points. Um, You know, easily three fifty to four hundred points easily in any given game, and she still beats me. Um, which is impossible, but she manages. And so I would, we were neck and neck, and it was right toward the end of the game. And I had made uh, a really good, I had made the word craft, and my F fell on a triple letter score. And the F was worth four. So I got 12 points just off that one tile. And, you know, it was just a, a great placement, and I was really excited, and it pushed me ahead in the game. And she had one S, there was only one S left on the board. And so she used it to go to, uh, over to a triple word score. No, to a double word score. And she put space in front of craft and, and made spacecraft Nice. and like cleaned up points <laughs> and went ahead of me and I couldn't recover. You know, that said, I mean, I've gotten over the fact that I lost the game in the last couple of moves. I'm over that. <laughs> but what happened, I'm not really over it. I'm never going to be over <laughs> it. But still, what happened was that she sat back in her recliner as she gloated just ever so slightly. And she looked at me and she said, did I ever tell you that my mother saw a spaceship? I was like... What? Mm. What? Mom, no. No, Mom. You never told me that. We've talked about the subject, I don't know, a <laughs> How many times. thousand times yeah. in our lives. <laughs> and no, I would have remembered if you told me that Grandma saw a spaceship. Yeah. And she said, yeah, well, she did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and she said that when she was about 12 years old, um, my grandmother, Gussie Smith, and uh, Bessie was her real name, uh, was sitting uh, in her kitchen one night. My mom's bedroom was right off the kitchen. They had a little cabin in South Georgia, and my uh, great-aunt Eliza came over to visit Gussie's uh, sister, and they started reminiscing about an event that had happened to them earlier in their lives as sisters, uh, and apparently something else had happened with Eliza. And so that's what rekindled this memory that they had from when they were both, uh, if not girls, young women. And they were out walking together. This would have needed to be uh, probably in the 20s, in the 1920s. Um, And they were right in that area. um, Still, their family had always lived in that area and they had climbed a knoll, uh, the highest hill in that area of South Georgia, and they both looked down into the valley, and there was a seamless, streamlined, long, tapered ship. But they didn't know what to call it. They didn't have the vernacular for right. it. They couldn't call it a spaceship or a spacecraft or a, you know, a vessel. They didn't know what to call it. Um, so they just kept calling it that thing that was but all the bright lights that were coming out of it, and how they stayed for the longest time, and they stared, and they stared, and they stared, and they don't remember how they got home, and you know, and they're having this whole long talk. And my grandmother Gussie, who was a very sedate, very almost stoic figure, very um, soft-spoken, almost regal. She had a very dense, heavy, thick Southern accent, so it was almost difficult to understand what she was saying sometimes. Uh, but she communicated with me splendidly. I saw her the last time I saw her, I think I was 10 years old and, um, she, uh, got very animated. Mom said she got very animated and even loud in discussing this with my aunt Eliza or my great aunt, my mother's aunt Eliza. And, um, And my mom was just not deliberately eavesdropping, but she was in her bedroom listening to this story and was fascinated by what she heard. And, you know, time passed and Aunt Eliza went on home and Grandma Gussie went to bed. And the next morning, my mother got up and she said, "Um, Mama, I heard you talking last night. and, And what you were describing, I heard what you were talking about. What was it? And... She struggled. Grandma struggled Mm -hmm. to express to her, uh, to describe to her what she saw. And then she said her mother glowed, just glowed while she was telling her about it. And she stopped and she paused for a moment with a loss of words. And then she looked deeply into my mother's eyes. And she said, "I saw Jesus."
0: Wow. Wow. And
1: I was like, "No, mom, you never told me that story. I would remember that yeah, story." Yeah, that's kind of a powerful and story there. And this game is over. You <laughs> win, and I'm going to the computer right now to reopen the manuscript and to put this right story there, right in there. Yeah. That book. And but, that's why the damn book took so long. Stuff
2: like that. <laughs> to yeah. to quote Christine quoting you, everything happens when it's supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. And you were supposed to hear that story from your mother at exactly the moment you were supposed to. And not a second earlier.
1: Yep and triggered by a scrabble word yeah go uh-huh. figure
0: that scrabble <laughs> yep. so we have a couple so of things here real quick
1: anybody, except yeah. anybody that's read the book already knows that. right so i just wanted to share it with you
0: that's awesome <laughs> that yeah, that's a fantastic story uh, a couple of things here real quick uh we have dawn with a 20 dollars super chat she says i love andrea one of my favorite Hunter road media guests ever and then tom mcnicholas with a five dollar super sticker which was she with a dog saying good job while well, raising his thumb up so thank you both very very much for that um yeah andrea I, I, that's a you know it's an amazing story very you know heartwarming uh, for sure but something i find interesting about it is of course the fact of how long it ago that that would have happened they had no idea what to call it. I remember doing research for my Oklahoma book and in a, in a place where they used to have an amusement park, they had actually seen what we would call a UFO and they were calling it a twinkler. You know, So I think some of the vernacular was, was really interesting. It's like, I, I think a lot of people think, okay, Roswell happened and then the UFO craze happened. Mm-hmm. And well before, prior, and, and prior to that, it was just those ancient alien guys. But these things have been happening all the time. You know, well, it's, it's not just those two sections of time.
1: Well, you know, prior to that, um, prior to that, I had had a situation occur with uh, my nephew. Uh, telling me about an entity that he saw um, and describing her in great detail and an entity that I'm familiar with. Um, And that story is in the book as well. And that particular story ended with my mother saying, hmm, does it run in the family? Hmm. And so when that thing occurred about my grandmother, um, I decided to make the title of that particular story, It Runs in the Family. Nice. And people who have really studied ufology, I mean, going back before ufology was a term, uh, know that there are families that have experiences, that there are people that seem to have been placed here, that aren't necessarily 100% homo sapien, that are probably hybrid in some way, shape, or form. I think it's possible that all of us are hybrid to a certain extent, that we are truly from the stars, that we are uh, possibly even supplanted on the Earth. There are so many varieties of human beings and yet, we all bleed red, we all cry tears, we're all humanoid. But we have, so, you know, we speak so many varieties of languages, we have so many different attributes, you know, whether it be those of us that have a more slanted eye than others. There are so many things that lead me to believe that we're uh, really a grand genetic um, experiment and that we are the children of higher races and i you know i don't know that i don't know anybody that can say with any uh certitude that they do it's it's not something that we know it's something that we ponder that we you know our curiosity causes us to reflect on um since the human genome was broken the scientists threw away about 80% of the information in it called it junk science, junk DNA, because it wasn't responsible for any of our physical attributes. Well, maybe it's our ancient history. Maybe it's the, the great tribe that we come from on the other side of Andromeda. I mean, maybe it is what's most essentially important about us and that all the rest of it's window dressing, you know, Uh, It just seems ignorant to me to just discard it as junk DNA when I think it probably holds the secret to who we really are. And so, you know, I know some of my theories about this are maybe a little different than what most people have even considered or are willing to wrap their minds around. But I think that it's important to consider because... And I will reiterate probably my most famous quotation, mm-hmm. which is uh, the safest assumption for us to make is that we know nothing yeah. compared with what there is to know.
2: Yeah,
0: I think
1: everything's we, on the table nothing. right now.
0: Everything. Um,
2: Andrea, yeah. let, me, let me ask you a quick question because if I've asked this one time on the show, the day that it happened, and um, nobody knew, but if anybody is going to know what this could have possibly been, it's going to be you. It was, it was quite a few weeks ago, um, less than two months. I had an experience that I cannot explain at all. And I mean, I've seen the spaceships. I've seen all of that. I've seen very different things, as I'm sure you have as well. This was a new for me, and it actually frightened me because it was new, not because I felt in fear. But um, I was at work, um, in, in the restroom at work, and I saw in front of me, a a, a very large size, big size um, of what looked to be like the, you know how it looks when when you're watching a movie and in the movie, the film, the movie film is burning and it has that brown, black, yellow, bubbly thing.
1: Yeah.
2: It did that. The air in front of me did that. And it lasted about five seconds. Have you ever seen anything like that?
1: No, uh, no, I haven't. But that could be uh, an interdimensional manifestation. That could be, you know, uh, a lot of uh, people who study quantum physics, quantum mechanics, you know, the the great brainiacs of us, the scientists who, who dare to explore that far out. Um, many believe that we live in multiple dimensions simultaneously and that, that could have been some type of a matrixing effect.
2: It, it looked like it was out of a movie, but I saw it with my own eyes. I will never forget what it looked like ever.
1: It could have been, uh, I I think it probably could have been any number of things, including something that was interdimensional that was trying to uh, just make its presence known to you. Oh, it did. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It did. I just, I wish it would have stayed long enough for me to say, hey.
1: Yeah. No,
2: but I think maybe, maybe it sensed my fear. I don't know, but it was, I've seen a lot of things, Andrea, and that was, that was a new one for me.
1: Yeah.
2: I don't freak out easily. I did then.
1: Well, you know, don't worry about it because when I was working with, um, I was working with a population of boys. I worked for about 10 years in what some people might refer to as a reform school. It was not that. It was uh, a school for behaviorally disordered boys uh, that really couldn't manage in public school. And we used to have to fill out incident reports regularly. And on the incident reports, there was a box that they got credit for not doing something wrong when they had the opportunity to do something wrong and chose not to. That was a box on the incident report. And they'd get credit if they actually were in a situation or scenario where they had control enough that they could have badly misbehaved misbehaved and chose not to um and that's the way i think about the galactic family and why i think that people are erroneously fearful of uh our galactic brethren because they have all the technology all the superior uh Everything that they need to take over this place, you know, to glean it of all of its natural resources, to enslave all of us, you know, or worse, um, they have it within their power. If they're able to travel around the universe at speeds that we cannot fathom, uh, in numbers that we cannot fathom, they already have everything that they need to... uh, misbehave on earth Mm -hmm. and they opt not to they choose not to i think even when there was a rash of abductions um what people call abductions which i think more of is a visitation but you know um semantics but still i think that it was not because they were trying to be unkind or cruel or you know, to experiment on us or to use us uh, in any particular way or another. I think that um, those that did that were just basically scientifically uh, curious about us more than anything. And some of the other races have interceded since then and have told them to back off. And the particular race that I think that was responsible for that. Has backed off. You don't hear about people being taken and things happening to them the way you did 20 or 30 years ago. Right. Uh, you just you don't hear about it anymore. I don't think it's because people aren't reporting it. I think it's because it stopped because they were told to stop. Um, and that particular race is known for being partially humanoid, but partially also um, AI, and they don't possess empathy. Gotcha. And so they don't know they're hurting us. You know, they didn't know that they were hurting us, per se. Um, And tried to, you know, put people into a suspended state where they would have no memory of it, but some people transcended that. Or in hypnosis, that came back, Um, that part of it. So I don't think that they were trying to be deliberately cruel I think that they were just being overtly curious. Um, and that has, you know, predominantly subsided. And a lot of people that are interacting with extraterrestrial races now are willingly um, doing so. And I'm one of them. Yeah, you. <laughs> uh, I do is conscious contact. Mike, why don't you tell everybody what happened <laughs> when we were
0: in the Go ahead.
2: <laughs> Hey, Mike, while you're doing that, I need
0: to step away for just okay, a second, okay? that's fine. I'll be right um, back. Yeah, I know, Andrea, has been... Because we talked about this, we we got on the phone a few weeks back, and, and we talked about what happened um, at, up there at Michigan Paracon. Uh, real quick, though, uh, Basis1945 had a $5 super chat, so thank you very much, Basis1945. And for some others, I know you've been submitting some questions. We'll get to them here in a few minutes. Um yeah. So that was really interesting, Michigan Paracon. So we were headed out to the parking lot so that you could, uh, share the intergalactic family with everybody. You, you do that at events, uh, which I've done with you before. And, um, so we went out there and as, as you had just started I don't, you had been talking for what, like 10 seconds and mm-hmm. this fireball just shot across the sky. You know, it was low in the sky. You could actually see the fire. You could hear the sizzle. You know, there was a, a, a plume at the end of it where, you know, everything kind of exploded into, you know, a number of different pieces. It was, that was amazing. Um, it was just right as you were starting. Um, and there's a $1.99 uh, super chat from Nightmare Files says, keep up the great work. So thank you very much for that as well. Um, but then as, as, you know, as we got into it, we were uh, continuing um, you got to the point where you started talking about the third eye and opening uh, opening up your third eye so that you could communicate with the extraterrestrials. So, you know, just kind of you know, looking up into the sky, close your eyes and, and allow yourself to be open. And right as I did that, um, I felt this, this tap, this thud, like something right between the eyes in the middle of the forehead. Um, You know, it wasn't a piece of the meteorite or anything crazy like that, but something, boom, tapped me right there, right where you would say the third eye is. And for about the next 10, maybe 15 minutes, I saw stars and twinkles and green lines and all kinds of, of crazy stuff. And that's when I came up to you and told you what happened to me. And did we just lock up?
2: Uh-oh. sorry andrea I've, I've been really ill for the past few days so. okay.
0: it looks like we locked it, up there for I mean, a minute while i was in the reaction, middle telling the story
1: yeah that's okay now i i think you got um i think you got to through the about 10 minutes of uh of everything that you saw after your third eye opened. And then yeah. You saw a lot of bright lights. And and it, for some of that time, your eyes were actually closed, right? Wasn't that when I had instructed people? Yeah, you instructed to
0: everybody to close out their, out their eyes, which is what I did. Yeah.
2: Something. And that's when it froze. Because that's when yeah. I walked back up and your eyes were closed.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it was very strange. I mean, the energy there that night. I had just said something like, you know, make your presence known to me or, you know, be known to me or something like that, you know, come to us or something to that effect. And all of a sudden the sky was just on fire. I mean, it was just amazing. Uh, I don't believe in coincidence. I don't know who caused it or how or what it was. Uh, It was not like an incoming asteroid. You know, those come from up there and come to down here. And that just split the sky. That was a horizontal thing uh that came over us. It was horizontal. Yeah, and it was um,
0: low in the sky. It wasn't and
1: very yeah. low in the yeah. sky. Yeah. Yeah. My sister saw it. They went running and they said they rounded the corner of the building and there I am standing out there with my arms extended upward. And they're like, oh, no, she's at it again. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't even dream of coming out with me. No, no, no. They had more important business to attend to. They, uh, they're they very used to me. And, you know, what I do. And my sister Nancy, that night, she was just blown away. She's like, nope, I'm going back in the <laughs> casino. Nope, I'm going to the bar. Nope, I got a feeling somebody's dancing and I'm going to dance with them. She just uh, freaks her out a little bit. Christine is funny because we got into an argument one day about NASA being defunded. I said, no, Christine, NASA's not defunded. NASA's gone underground. There's all kinds of stuff going on that, you know, 99.99% of us don't know anything about. And um, I said, you know, within the next 10 years, we'll be able to go into outer space, you know, just buy a ticket. To go into outer space, and she's like, "Oh, I would never do that." I said, "Well, why not? You know, what I mean, to me, to be able to—she's talk about top of the bucket list to be able to go. So I have been waiting out. for that you moment. See the planet, yeah. you know, I would love that. And she's like, "No, no, I would never do that. And the only reason why you want to do that is so you can go see your little friends." <laughs> <laughs> So oh, now, is that like, a bad my thing? sisters, Mike, you understand. What I'm talking.
0: Yeah. About oh, your food. sisters are wonderful, but yeah, <laughs> I get yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So. I um, don't
2: think that's a bad thing. Go see your friends. Yeah. I know. Well, they don't have to. They come
1: see me. I really. There know. you go.
0: Yeah, but, but getting <laughs> up there has They're been. for
2: the ticket. On wall
0: there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Getting up there has been a bucket list item ever since you know I was knee high to a grasshopper. So, yeah. I love that um,
1: phrase. That's a Southern phrase. My mother used to say that when we were <laughs> growing up. That is, that's a Georgia phrase. And you to know, a grandfather. Yeah,
0: it is a Southern phrase, and I'm not Southern, so go figure.
2: <laughs> okay, you, don't
1: think you me listen, too long long. Channeling through you right now. Could be. So, Could be. You know. Anyway, I'm so glad that you had that experience, so Mike. Um, it's really important. Uh, I know that it was for you because uh, I was there and I saw your reaction. everything that happened to you that excuse me and um, I know it had a a profound impact on you I need more caffeine hold on just a second here. show that mug show the mug for Lynn (laughs) oh Lynn Uh. oh Lynn look (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna be I'm gonna pay
0: yeah
1: yeah with the mug, with the M mug. Um,
0: So, there there is a question here out of the chat. You touched on it a little while ago. This is from uh, AKD. Uh, Why do extraterrestrials seem drawn to the same people?
1: Seem drawn to the same people?
0: Yeah.
1: Well, there are literally millions of people all over the planet that have seen anomalies that they cannot explain in the sky that have had encounters um, some would consider close encounters Um, and i don't know if they just come to certain of us or if they come to everybody and some of us don't have the ability to see extra dimensionally and so well like for instance the flotilla of ships that in the early 70s passed all the way down the eastern seaboard crossed over the uh, Atlantic made a complete tour of Western Europe and did not disappear up over the Arctic Circle in a split second until the Royal Air Force scrambled their fighter jets to go after it. Um, and according to those in the know about population centers at the time, it was estimated that that flotilla of vessels passed over uh, more than 60 million people but there were less than 100,000 reports of it. So does that mean that uh, only 100,000 people saw it? If you extrapolate it out to, you know, one in 10 would report, or maybe one in 100 would report seeing something like that in the 70s, then that might give you somewhat of a better idea of how many people may have actually seen it but still, nowhere close to 60 million reports about something that filled the sky and blocked the sun. So why did some people see it and some people not see it? Uh, and I think that, you know, that's a question on which the jury is still out. But I have my own suspicions. And I think those of us that may indeed carry a little bit of... Uh, other dna you know since they've started those dna things where they tell you where you're from and if they can't quite pin it down to where you're from they leave a wedge in the pie chart that's gray that's marked other um i know some people that have big chunks of other you know really big chunks of other and i think that there are hybrids uh among us that carry uh extraterrestrial dna and there are markers for it, and as science studies this more and more deeply, um, they're coming up with uh, three predominant markers. First of all, first of all, whether or not you are blue or green eyed. Um, second, if you carry the Rh negative blood factor. Human blood does not mutate it. Uh, the Rh negative. Blood factor was infused into the human bloodline, but nobody has been, ex- have been able to explain how or precisely when. Um, and uh, they find most people that are contactees are either firstborn or only children. Hmm. Um, and it, that makes up that combination thereof, makes up a large percentage of people that claim to be contactees. And it's not until they started compiling the data on those characteristics of people who have claimed to have contact that they started putting, you know, pieces of this puzzle together. And I think that I have all three markers. I'm um, the eldest. I have uh, deep blue, green, uh, blue eyes that sometimes turn green if I'm really mad. <laughs> um, and... Uh, <laughs> Which they that doesn't happen often, but when it does, if my eyes are green back <laughs> off. Um, and uh and I have the R H negative blood factor and that's uh, carried through my family. Um so on uh, my mother's side. So I don't know. I mean, maybe it does run in the family, maybe it is a genetic trait, maybe we are all part of other races, maybe what we worship as God it is you know, a race of higher beings that kind of, you know, sent prof- a prophet to us to teach us how to lo- love each other dearly and we murdered him, you know, I mean, I don't know. We we don't have any answers to any of this. But I think that this is worth exploring. Uh, and I think that the mysteries of life will probably never be answered in our lifetimes, nor should they be necessarily. Perhaps the mystery of life exists to give us something to search and to research after to find our way in the dark, because we're all lost little children in the woods. None of us is, uh, an expert on any of this, not mm-hmm. any of it. Uh, and anybody that claims to be, you should run in the opposite direction of that mm-hmm. person because they're not just lying to you. They're probably lying to themselves.
0: Right.
2: That's you know, there
1: exactly. are no experts in the paranormal, none zero.
2: Exactly. I'm not the firstborn. I am the only daughter. Um, and I don't have RH negative, but I have green eyes. I'm the only one on either side of my family as far back as you can go. Three, Mm -hmm. 300 years. I'm the only one with green eyes. That's it. I don't understand that. That doesn't make any sense to me.
1: Well, you know, some would say a scientist, a doctor, an internist, a, you know, a physician that studies, um, you know, our genetic code could, you know, just pass it off as that's just a recessive drink gene in your bloodline. That somewhere along in your ancient bloodline, that recessive gene was in your family and it just decided to pop it set up and appear in your eyes. And that sounds like a perfectly rational, perfectly logical explanation. Mm -hmm. But I think that there could be uh, another explanation as well. And the longer I live and the more people I meet and the more I see, you know, when I do these UFO conferences, um, I ask, you know, I start most of my lectures with those three questions. How many of you in this room have blue or green eyes? Two thirds of the hands, maybe three quarters go up. Uh, how many of you are firstborn or an only child? Usually at least half, sometimes two thirds. And how many of you, to your knowledge, are carrying the Rh, uh, Rh negative blood factor? Usually about half. Go up. You know. So when I start putting all this together, it just seems to me, and I think that there are other markers as well. Um, it seems to me that. You know, the only way that we can really get the analysis done on our blood is to have the scientific community analyze our DNA through, you know, our spit or whatever that they use for their testing. Um, But then they've got that information.
2: Exactly. That's what scares me.
1: And (laughs) I won't do it. I don't want to know how big my other part of the pie is. I don't. I already feel it. And I feel so connected with um, what I refer to as the galactic family. I will not call them aliens. they are no more aliens on this planet than we are. Uh, And that seems like, you know, especially recently, that word has taken on such a negative connotation that it almost seems, you know, I mean, we are literally alienated from them by using that to describe them. I just don't think that they are any more alien to this is a, pl- a planet that they are extremely well familiar with and I do know that there are races that if they do not uh, dwell here you know co- we coexist with them they're here so frequently that you know they might as well just dwell here and yet this is really more of a base a base of operation um, I have seen film footage taken in South America, where vessels that are the, the kind that look like cigars, they're the long mm-hmm. fuzzy vessels, they're kind of off-white fuzzy, um, have just been filmed going directly down into uh, volcanoes, active, open, gushing volcanoes that are obviously not in any way affected by the fire that they're flying into. Um, You know, there's some uh, really amazing, well-vetted, indisputable film footage. And now that we have official disclosure from the federal government, uh, from the Department of Defense um, in 2017, admitting that they've been studying this anomaly and admitting that the film uh, footage that was released from the USS Nimitz off the coast of California from 2004 was indeed authentic, and then saying that the whole study was shut down, and then three or four weeks ago, the Navy saying, oh, yeah, and that film footage from 2014, yeah, that's real, too. So basically, they ratted themselves out because yes. they are the lying liars who lie. It is what they do. Yep. Sorry, I got a little animated. No, I That's okay. totally understand.
0: Totally understand.
1: It just makes me crazy. But, you know, the truth is that we are the point of disclosure. We the credible people with incredible stories to tell. And every time we share them with one another, we liberate the other person we're sharing it with to tell their own stories. And you'd be amazed, the more people talk about this, the more open they are with each other, the more curious they become, the more fascinated, the more animated, the more enlightened they become to the fact that we are not alone in the universe, we have never been alone in the universe, and we never will be. And to come to grips with that after living in a very sheltered, three-dimensional, five-sensory realm to understand that our actual reality is much bigger, much broader, much deeper, and much more uh, illuminated than we might think, uh, it makes for an interesting life. And sometimes it's too much for people to take in. but. They're feeding us information. The governments, not just our own, but the governments around the planet that are releasing information that they've gathered through their own military are releasing this information now in uh, morsels and tidbits because they think of all of us as babies who can only take them a little bit at a time. Uh, but I think that uh, the world is getting ready for this, and I think that the... Uh, the salvation of humanity factors in to their presence. Not that they're here to save us. I don't think that they are. Uh, I wrote a whole chapter in the book about that. They're not here to save us from ourselves. We have to do that ourselves. Um, but they're here to lift us up and to light us, uh, light us up. You know, to to raise the frequency of this planet to to change the vibration of humanity that is so self-destructive, that is so uh, destructive of our own home. We're the only creature on the planet that follows its own nest. We treat it like it's, you know, it'll just all grow back, really, because no, it won't. No, uh, we're at a real, we're at a pivotal time, we're at a crisis point humanity is and i think that each and every one of us is here with a very specific purpose and reason right now and when people feel overwhelmed by all of this and say that they just you know can't deal with that and financially they're not in a position to donate to their favorite cause and they don't have any hours in a week to go volunteer at a soup kitchen or or help you know the, anybody in their neighborhood because they're too busy trying to keep their roof over their head. I just tell them, you know, don't despair about that. You know, the, the, the best thing that you can do to help the planet and to help humanity and to, to assist with all living creatures on the planet is to visualize what you want Earth to be like and all living things on it. Visualize a place of peace, a place of wellness, and a place of hope, um, tranquility, um, a, an inner serenity for human, humankind, an understanding of a realization of oneness of all of us being as one, one extended family. And then hold that intention in your mind. Contemplate it. Meditate on it. Think about it. Hold that vision of what you want the world to be like, and in so doing, cumulatively, we're healing the world with our own thoughts because thoughts are things.
2: They they yeah. very much yeah, are. Absolutely. I think people forget that. They they have they hold more power than verbalization in a heated moment ever will. Yes. What you hold in your mind and what you visualizes as a hope. Yeah. that is 10 times more powerful than than a negative verbalization spewed out I, I, in the heat of the moment. It just is. And people well, don't get that.
1: We have consciousness. We are conscious. Yes. No. So, uh, unless we choose to master our complicated mind, we let fear run it, run our lives. We indulge in self-destructive behavior. It seems to be a natural uh, human proclivity. Uh, And especially when we're young and we establish patterns of behavior and patterns of thought uh, early in our lives that are shaped by too many outward influences when all we really need to do to understand who we are and where we come from is to be still and be quiet and to go within and to reflect on the stars and to reflect on where we come from. You know, Joni Mitchell was right. We are stardust, we are golden and we've got to get back to the garden. We've got to get back to that part of us that grows and nurtures life, that worships all that is beautiful, that, that wants to leave this world a better place than we found it, that is approaching life with a divine intention, uh, with what some refer to as God consciousness and peace and love and light. Um, and that's you know easy to say when the world seems to be banging our doors down and intruding from every conceivable corner. You know, we all have our moments of despair. You know, you and I were talking about this just prior to the show about getting through difficult days mm-hmm. when you can't stand to see what's happening in the world and you can't bear to look away. I you know it's it's just, this is a pivotal time for the human race. We need to see it for what it is. And, you know, one of the chapters that I wrote is uh, called Chicken and the Egg And I had this, this thing that happened to me a few years ago where I had been working late at night. And I closed down the computer. I went to bed. And I, I literally got shoved in my bed. And I didn't know what it was. Um, but something was trying to keep me awake. And I got aggravated. And I went outside after the second push. I went outside and I was not very nice. And I said, what, <laughs> what is it? You know, what, uh, I, I was perturbed. Um, and I didn't see anything in the sky, but I had a flash, like a psh, like psh, moment where I saw an image of me standing in a chicken coop when I was 12 years old with my mother and my sisters. And we had gone to a local chicken farm right after we moved. It was the first spring we were at the farmhouse. And my parents decided that they wanted us to have farm fresh eggs, not store bought stuff. And so we went over to Connecticut, which was like a 10 minute drive to cross the border and to go to this chicken farm out in the backwoods of Connecticut. And the farmer, uh, the farmer's wife brought mom and myself and my sisters into the part of the chicken coops where they were letting the babies be born, and there were a whole bunch of eggs that were all lined up in these little tiny incubators, and uh, several of the eggs were moving, and one there was a tiny, tiny little beak coming out of it, and I got very excited, and I didn't know better. I was completely ignorant about this whole process. And I reached over to crack the egg to release the baby chick so I could hold the chick and see the baby Mm -hmm. and help it get out of its egg. And my mother grabbed my hand and she pulled it away and she said, oh, no, honey, you can't break the egg for the baby because it won't survive. It will die. And I was absolutely mortified that I had come within a hair's breadth of murdering a baby chicken just out of sheer ignorance. Uh, I was, and I was so upset, but then I don't think I ever thought about that again because I learned my lesson. I knew not to do that from that point on. Right. Um, and that was the flash, the memory that I wow. got some 50 years later. And I went back in and sat down at the computer and I wrote a treatise called The Chicken and the Egg. Uh, the message that I received that night was, We're not here to break your shell and let you out. You have to peck your way out of your own shell, your own limited. You think that this is your world, that this is your world, when this is your world. But you don't know it until you peck your way out of it. And what my mother was trying to tell me that day was that the amount of energy that was required and the amount of strength it would build in that baby chick to peck its way out of its egg was equivalent to the force that would be required for it to survive and thrive on the outside of the egg. Yep. And that any intervention would have weakened it ultimately and caused it to die. Yep. So that was the message that I received that night. And that's how I translated it in my mind. And then I included it in the book. They can't save us from ourselves. We have to find our own way out of these dilemmas we have to Um, or we will perish the earth will go on the earth can live without us the earth will live much more health you know a much more healthy existence without us yeah
0: it's always going to be a rock going around the sun we
1: don't have plan b or planet b lined up
0: yeah
2: well i mean just to interject here just for a second I, I totally get that story, and I totally get the imagery behind it. But what I also see is those who have been what I consider blessed by experiences that have involved the Galactic family, um, anything that we can that, that would be outside of the norm for, for the general population. It, it makes me wonder where we, we can't make somebody's egg shell break and make them see the light and and get the strength in order to survive. But what we can be is the warmth and the incubator for Mm -hmm. when they are struggling and trying to get to that point and trying to raise their strength and their awareness and their understanding and their love. So those who are more, um, not evolved, that sounds pious, but those who have experienced more, And and seem to vibrate at at a slightly different level, can be that warmth and that and that that support system for those that are still struggling to to find it.
1: Yeah, well, because we're all at a different um, we're all on a different run of the ladder of spiritual evolution. Mm -hmm. You know, none of us is in exactly the same place because none of us has the exact same set of circumstances or experiences to draw upon. In terms of our own innate understanding of ourselves in this three D five sense realm. <coughs> Excuse me, so still,
2: still on antibiotics? <laughs> yes, I am. Oh my god! Bless you, honey. Yeah, I
1: the, know. they put
2: me down for the count this week. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I've added two to the list. I can't take anymore.
1: Yeah. I know. Well, I'm I'm through the first regimen. This is the second.
2: Oh, bless you. Well,
0: ladies, we are well past our hour, so we need to actually wrap it up.
1: Oh, Uh, gosh. You know, I thought this was like a three, four hour show, Mike.
0: (laughs)